right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's up? You're listening to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy March. It's officially the, I don't know, is it the greatest sports time of year? Certainly up there. One of my favorites. I once... uh, I don't know if this is just one of those things where it's an urban legend or if there's actually if there's truth to it. But I once read that um, the first the, that Thursday and Friday of the tournament, the the day the days with the first round are the the only two days in America that are less productive in American business are uh, the day before Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve. Mm, that's fun. I'm surprised the Super Bowl is not on there. It's a Sunday. It wouldn't. Oh yeah, duh. I'm stupid. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> Baylor wins at Texas last night, and yep. now that makes the path very clear for KU. And I, I put this out on on social media. Who's last Baylor night. got left. Is there any chance that they blow one? I know they're at home, so I'm not really expecting it to happen. I'll work on that in a second. Um, but I think you're right. They found they found such a really good f- formula. Yeah, they're at home against Iowa with, State without um, a, um, Chamo Chachua. They they really have found a good formula for how to play ball. Yeah, they really have. I mean. Yeah, home against Iowa State. That's so they're winning that one. They're expecting to win. Yeah. Um, So most likely, the path now for KU is clear, and it is unfortunate because you know Baylor and Texas Tech both swept Texas, and not only did Baylor and Texas Tech both sweep Texas, the average score of the game, Texas lost by eleven, and you lost at Texas in the way that it happened. If KU doesn't end up winning the conference, even getting a share, or if they don't end up winning it outright, and that's going to be the it, biggest. Hundred percent. What if? Now, like I said, path clear. Three and zero wins it outright from here. Two and one gets you a share. And also, I should mention, if KU and Baylor do share it, assuming Texas Tech finishes third, KU would have the tiebreaker for the one seed in the Big Twelve tournament, which well, doesn't matter to? that much. Maybe not, but it also does because you wouldn't want to play Tech in the semifinal round, right? No, um, the only thing you could argue is it would give you a chance to grab a, another big win it would but but if you're beating texas in the semifinal round either way it's a quad yeah, one win. Exactly. i'd rather play texas yeah. than texas tech uh to your question about what it goes to so the tiebreaker if the records are the same then it obviously goes to head-to-head that would be split, split. after that it goes to record against and you just work your way down the big 12 so you go to the next best team which so would be texas it'd be, tech it'd be one and one versus zero and two yep okay because tech swept baylor yeah tech okay all right so that's why um, okay, but KU obviously needing to go 3-0 and to win it outright adds a little more pressure to tonight's game in TCU. Playing down in Fort Worth, obviously KU's coming off a loss, and in the same way that, you know, something you talked about yesterday, sometimes when it's the team you're covering or watching or rooting for, it's a lot easier to get inundated with the little things and, and feel one way or another versus the way we look at Kentucky losing at Arkansas or Gonzaga losing at St. Mary's, we say, yeah, they'll be fine. That was just a weird game for them. Um, And in that same light, 
you know, when another good team, we even talked about this uh, last week when Baylor beat Oklahoma State, the idea that when a good team loses a game, it's almost like you don't want to play them the yeah, next game. Yeah, if, if we were... Like I, I think if if we, if we were, were a TCU radio we, show we'd be right good, now, yeah. we're like crap. Because it's, but as KU fans, because we're you know you always feel differently about your team. We're like, oh no, could this be the beginning of a skid? Right. Whereas if you're a TCU, uh, TCU fan, you're going, we're getting them hyper focused because they're coming off of a loss. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I, I just I think all the numbers point to KU winning this game. I do feel weird. I don't know. Something tells me they're going two and one or worse this week. I don't know why. I can't, and look, I know, I, I've admitted plenty of times before that I'm a paranoid fan, and so I'm always going to lean to the side of anxious, so just because I have a given feeling, that doesn't mean anything, because I'm a paranoid, overly anxious fan, but something's telling me two and one. If yeah. they, I, I'll, but if they win tonight, I'll feel really good. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I guess a question to that, like, would you feel better, if I could right now, I was a, a magic genie, and I could guarantee a Kansas win in one of the next three games, would, but the other two are just whatever happens. In the happens. Air. It would have to be either it would it would be either tonight or Saturday. Mm-hmm. I might just pick Saturday because I really want to keep the Senior Day winning streak just guarantee going. It. Yeah, I think I would pick tonight, and I I do agree. Like there is the Senior Day part of it, especially when you have so many seniors, and I. <laughs> I don't know. Some I, of whom have played a very memorable seven games as right. Jayhawks. I think, though, that's part of it for me. It's not just that you have the senior day speech and that it is a home game for you against the team you already lost to. Against a team that you have lost, what, three in a row to? Is it four in a row? Texas? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Three in a row, I think. It's that you have I know, that well, They didn't seniors. get a chance to play them a third time last year because that's right. they would have played them in the semifinal, but they had the, that's KU right. had the COVID issue. There's a lot of things going there, and when you have so many seniors, it's not that senior day doesn't mean something to the team, even if you only have one senior. Anytime you play an Allen Field House, it's going to mean something. I would just think when you have, I forget how many there are. I don't know, it's like six or They'll something like that. They'll be juiced and ready. They're going to be extra juiced, right, Yeah. for that final home game. I I'm would trying to think, tonight. wasn't it Frank Mason's senior year, though, that they... It was a bad Oklahoma team that gave them all they could yeah. handle in, in, and on in the last senior eight night. Minutes they kind of came back. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's definitely possible. I just I think I would take tonight. That's fair. I mean, it, it was it would absolutely be between this one and Texas. Um, Wait, watch they'll lose like Thursday against TCU. Yeah, and win the other two. That's a good. Yeah. Um, but I would. I feel way better if they if they get a win tonight. I'll feel really really good. I will too. And I think at that point, the reason why is that. Because like, if you lose tonight, then the pressure is on that you have to go 2-0 two two just and to 0. share, right? And then if you win tonight, the trophy's probably going to be in the building on Thursday. 100%. And you'll be able, you know, they'll be, that'll be big. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. Part of this game that, that makes it more nerve-wracking is just that idea what that, you- like, if you would have said before the season, or, or before just Big 12 play started, KU is sitting with a one-game lead into the last week with three games to go, and if they go two and one, they get a share. If they go three and zero, oh, they win it outright. You would say, "Yeah, I'll definitely take that." Hundred percent. And even further, that. more if they do end up going two and one this week, and they finish fourteen and four in conference, and they're play, still the one seed in the Big Twelve, and they're Kansas still the one City. seed, even though it's a share. If I would have told you that were ha- would have happened in as good of a league that this you has take been, it also again, yeah, it's just because of the uh, fact that it felt like they had the 
the knockout blow opportunity over the weekend and couldn't take advantage. Yeah, it almost feels like the the Chiefs when they um, won in in Los Angeles, and you're like, all right, there, this is it, and all they got to do is yeah, to get the one seed, and, and you know, and, and then instead they blow it to Cincinnati, and, and obviously, and I'm I'm talking about they lose in in right. the, the regular season game, and that they they shot themselves in the foot to get the one seed in the playoffs. It it feels kind of like that, but again, they still have the path open to win this thing outright. You win three games against three beatable opponents, three opponents that are capable of beating you, but three opponents that you're certainly capable of beating as well. Um, you go three and zero against three beatable opponents. You're you're fifteen and three, and you're the outright conference champions. Yeah, give. I'll take that. I would have taken that every time at the beginning of this season. So let's learn a little something about the TCU Horned Frogs because, uh, because unlike the other opponents in the Big 12 where... Wait, wait, wait. They, I'm going to try. Hmm. Good at forcing turnovers. Mm, no. Really? Yeah. Wow. The outlier. Guess, right? The outlier. TCU is ninth in Big 12 play in forcing turnovers. They are also... I mean, they're 148th in the country, so they're like fine at it, but by Big 12 but by standards... by Big 12 standards, they're yeah. one of the worst... TCU Tur- turning forcing turnovers in Big Twelve men's basketball is like recruiting in SEC football. <laughs> if you're dead last, you're still one of the yeah. better ones in the country. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, we had the sixth best recruiting class in in the SEC, but it was better than the entire Pac-12. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We, when you look at the Big Twelve, like teams that they would kind of compare to in terms of their offense and in defensive ranks, they're a little bit. Similar to kind of the like, I guess Iowa State or Oklahoma State ilk of things, or maybe West Virginia. I don't know. West Virginia's kind of gotten a little weird there, but like they're better offensively than Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Much better offensively than Oklahoma State. They're not as good defensively, but they are of that ilk. They're 89th on offense. They're 27th on defense. Um, what makes them good? Well, offensively, they haven't been all that good, but. They do rebound the heck out of the basketball. They are first in conference-only games in offensive rebound rate. They are second in the entire country in offensive rebound rate. Wow. I mean, big game once again for the center for defensive rebounding. You need to limit their offensive possessions. Um, What's their offense? What's their Ken Palm offensive rank? Yeah, so offensively, they haven't been as good. Um, offensively, they are 89th in the country. They're just ninth, though, in Big 12 only So games. that's one of those things where if, if you can keep them, if you can limit the offensive rebounds, you could probably keep them from scoring Correct. much at all because you're not giving them, you're, you're limiting a bad offense's chances at, at getting more, more possessions. Yeah. And again, this goes back to the conversation. A team that's going to try that hard, that that's their identity, you're not going to completely shut them out. They're not going to have four offensive rebounds But you tonight. can get out and run exactly. when you get your defensive board. Exactly. Can you hold them, because they're averaging 35% of their own misses on the offensive glass and coverage play, can you hold them to 30? You know? and it, To your point about the rest of the offense, it hasn't been very good. Uh, they are eighth at getting to the free throw line. They are ninth in three-point shooting. They're under 30% in conference play on three-point shots, and, and they don't really have, like, uh, Francisco Farabello is a good three-point shooter. He plays about 19 minutes a game off the bench. That's mostly what he comes in for, 37%. Then you have Chuck O'Bannon, who's at, like, 34% um, from three this season, and he'll take, you know... He, I think he averages about three threes a game, something like that. Outside of that, they don't have a a player who has taken more than, I guess, two threes who is shooting over even 29.5% from three. 
So they are not a good shooting team. They're, they actually shoot okay from two-point range, but they don't get to the free throw line. They don't shoot free throws well, and they also turn the ball over a lot. As much as KU has struggled with turnovers at times in conference play, they were a 10th for a while. They're up to 7th now in conference-only games. TCU is turning it over 4% more often offensively than KU is. TCU is 10th in the conference in in offensive turnover rate. So for all the extra possessions they're getting with rebounds, they're giving a lot back with the turnovers. Okay. Which could, yeah, that could be very important. I'll also add something that's not quantifiable, but I think you could still expect. If you look at the TCU fan base and the fact that this is, what, 30 to 40 minutes away from Dallas, there should be a pretty strong Kansas contention in that crowd, too. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always mean anything, um, but it's worth noting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, usually this isn't a super tough road environment for KU, but also this is one of the better TCU teams we've seen in a while. They're projected to be an NCAA tournament team. They're they're probably juiced coming off the win over Texas Tech on Saturday. The yeah, one that was thing big. that does make them a little scary offensively, because like I said, outside of the rebounding, they are not a good offense, is the fact that they do have Mike Miles. And Mike Miles is a overall inefficient player, he is averaging 15.5 points per game, four assists, almost four rebounds, steal and a half, uh, great totals. But what I say when inefficiency, he's at 38% from the floor, he's at 29.5% from three, and he shoots a lot. Um, he has taken 323 shots this year in 24 <laughs> games. So that's, wow. what, like 13 a game, something like that? He's shooting 29%? From three. Okay, um, 38% from the field. So again, like it's not that efficient, but there's like pluses and minuses because guys like that will have like, if it all goes to form and you say that he scores 15, but he only shoots that percentage, you're going to say, okay, we can still win. That's fine. Guys like that have a tendency to have some games every now and then. Where everything falls. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a little scary that if that were to happen, combined with the team that good at offensive rebounding, you um, wonder what happens. What... If you know the answer to this, because I'm asking you as kind of a quiz, but um, what's the Ken? You can look this up. What's the Ken Palm line? I want to see because I know I know the Vegas mm -hmm. line. I want to see how the Ken Palm line matches up. Yeah. So last I saw, Vegas line was six. The Ken Palm line is five. Okay. Mm -hmm. It All has right, it. Ve yeah, Vegas line still at six. I was. Let me ask you this. This is less a question about this game specifically, and back to our talk earlier about this week. Are Are you thinking more about the conference right now or seeding in the NCAA tournament? Because I'm probably mm. thinking more about the conference. I am too because I think that's the carrot in front of your face right now. That's fair. And it, I, I think it's also a – like KU could still get a one seed if they don't win the conference outright. Um, heck, if they went one and two this week but then won the Big 12 tournament, they're still in the still conversation talk, for a yeah. one seed, right? I, I think it's just that like this is the step along the way to make it easiest. If you win the conference outright – and then you win even one or two Big 12 tournament games, you're probably in pretty good shape yeah, for a one true. seed. You know, So I, I think it's more of a one step at a time. Exactly. Thing. Like this is the first thing that helps you accomplish that second thing. Um, the other thing about TCU, defensively, they're really strong. By Big 12 standards, they're more middle of the pack, of course. Uh, but they're not really like elite at one thing specifically, except for, again, rebounding. They're, they're just kind of like, you know, Solid at a lot of things. They're not bad, 
although they don't force a ton of turnovers, which is probably music to the ears of KU. That's really the one thing that they haven't done well in conference play. They're just pretty much, you know, middle of the pack, above average in, in a lot of defensive categories. But yeah, they are number one in defensive rebound rate in conference play, which, you know, KU's been a very good um, offensive rebounding team. So that'll be very interesting. KU's actually only 0.2 percentage points behind TCU for being the best offensive rebounding team in conference play. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that that makes you feel better because if you are close to their equal as an offensive rebounding team with a much better offense, then theoretically if those extra possessions sort themselves out or equal themselves out between maybe them turning the ball over or you having a good night offensive re- rebounding the ball on the offensive end, um, then, you're, then you having the more efficient offense would then I probably most likely be the difference unless like you said that kid that takes a heap of shots just happens to have a night that's always the worry um as far as like how they play they do play traditional center eddie lampkin their backup center xavier cork he's uh six nine two twenty eight he uh isn't as big as the starting center um but he doesn't shoot three so really they have Essentially, two traditional centers. Standard five. Yeah, neither of them has even attempted a three this season. So that's got to be a positive for KU. And neither is of the ilk of a Jeremy Sohan or a Bryson Williams where they're super athletic at the five spot either. Um, I don't think there's anything about this matchup that sticks out that, you know, is ultra worrying. It's just the idea you're going on the road. Like I said, you're playing a, a guard who has the ability to get hot. They're solid defensively. Weird things happen on the road in Big 12 play. But as far as on paper itself, KU's not in an awful spot here. But certainly there is a lot of pressure on this one after you lost to Baylor, and now you got to take care of business this week. All right, we're going to talk with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World coming up in less than 20 minutes here. Um, he'll join us to talk some KU basketball. We'll also be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at about 440 to talk Big 12 and college basketball. We're out a little early today, 5.30. That's because we have pregame coverage taking over at 5.30 with David Lawrence and Sean Kellerman for the Jayhawk Radio Network, and that'll lead into tip-off for KU and TCU, 7 o'clock with Greg Gurley, Brian Haney on the call here on KLWN, KLWN.com, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We're going to take a time out here when we come back. Daily poll. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk with Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Matt Tate will join the show in less than 15 minutes from right now. We'll talk some KU basketball with Matt. Kevin Flaherty at 440, again out early today at 530 for coverage of KU and TCU here on KLWN. Other programming notes throughout the week here on the station. Tomorrow, we have Hawk Talk, um, 6 o'clock to 645. We'll be out a little early on Hawk Talk here on KLWN tomorrow because uh, we'll have KU Women's Basketball pregame starting at 645 and their tip-off at 7 o'clock, and uh, you can hear the entirety of the Hawk Talk on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Thursday night, we have the next KUTCU game in Allen Fieldhouse. Again, 7 o'clock, pregame 5.30. Friday night, we could have some high school basketball 
I should mention that as well. Tonight we have high school basketball over on our sister station, 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. Lawrence High playing at Olathe Northwest. If Lawrence High wins that game, then uh, they'll be playing again Friday, and we'll carry that for you here on KLWN. Wednesday night as well, over on 92.9 The Bull, we're going to have Lawrence High basketball, the boys in the sub-state semis. And then Saturday will be another loaded day. On Saturday, we'll have the KU women's game. We'll have the KU men's game. And then we will also have the sub-state final game. Um, we're planning, since we're doing the Lawrence High sub-state semi game, for doing the free state sub-state final game. But obviously, if somebody loses and somebody advances, we're, we'll you know figure it out from there and, and kind of change around the schedule. So you got all that. We're going to be doing a test later I'm on. I'm tired just, to, just thinking about it. <laughs> Pop just quiz is it. coming up. By the way, happy birthday. Thank you. Not to you. Okay. Allen Fieldhouse. Ah. The big 6'7". 1955. Okay, it is 6'7". Yep. We're good. Excellent. Happy mm. birthday, Fog. Man. What a place, huh? What's your... Now, I already know the answer to this. I was going to ask what's your favorite uh, Allen Fieldhouse memory is. February 25th, yeah, 2012. The Missouri game. I knew the answer. I think mine would have to be the Oklahoma triple overtime game. You know, funny story about that. I had a friend, and, and you know him as well, but um, he never went to a KU basketball game his entirety that he was at KU, and he was, I think, a year or two older than me. Um, and finally, we got him on board with going his senior year, and, and he's like a big basketball fan, so this isn't just somebody who's like not interested in sports or anything like that, more of an NBA fan, but still, big basketball fan, and finally convinced him to go to the game. This was his first ever game. He went to picked that a, game. Picked a good one. The second game he ever went to was the KU-Kentucky game that year, which went to overtime and unveiled the rules yep, of basketball. Yep. Those are the only two games he ever went to. Wow. I mean, pretty good selection. That's a hell of a... I'll say that. That's a hell of a... Oh, two and oh. Two yeah, and oh. It is. Uh, also, two good ones. Our uh, trivia, or not trivia, our daily poll from yesterday, who should play more minutes for KU on Tuesday night, which would be tonight. Remy Martin got 56% of the vote. Joey Esfu at 44%. I said Joe Yesifu, but that's not surprising to me because, you know, the internet loves Remy Martin. Although, honestly, I'm surprised it was that close. I think a lot of KU fans love Remy Martin. Yeah, and I think they the unknown is is big part of it. I oh, think yeah. they can imagine Remy Martin hauling off for 25 points. Yeah. I, they I, can't I, really imagine Joe Yesifu ever doing that, at least not this year. Of course. I, I Ideally, if all goes well... I think Remy Martin should play more than Joe Yesifu, but at least right off the bat, right now, eh, I'm not quite there. Okay, our daily poll for today. Today is obviously March 1st, and as we know, you know, we hear it all year through college basketball during the CBS games, but it really starts to mean something extra once we get into March, and especially during the NCAA tournament. The CBS college basketball theme is something... You know, there's certain things you can hear, certain mm -hmm. things you can watch on TV, yep. and it immediately gives you other sensations, right? It's it's a feeling of nostalgia, but you get certain memories that come up in your head. You feel like you're transported into a different place and time yep. when you hear that song. Also, I have synesthesia, so some music makes me see colors. Is that true? Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> Is this, yeah. is this count? Is this one of Something, those? This, no, this would not be an example, okay. but that is a thing that happens with me, yes. I want to explore more of this later. Um, the CBS College Basketball theme has got to be the best like sports music, sports theme music. I don't know how to describe it. Oh, it's it, the right? best. It's the absolute best. And I always get, I don't know if mad's the right word, but like 
the 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 big um like Kentucky usually plays in it. There's a big event every December. I think it's they just I, I think they call it the CBS Sports Classic. Mm-hmm. And it's it's four it's two teams or two games, four teams. In Vegas, right? Yeah, something yeah. like that. They have the logos painted huge on the floor. I think like one year it featured North Carolina versus Kentucky. But anyway, early on in December, there's almost always a college ba- a big time college basketball game on CBS, and they play that music. And that music, because it's it's not just the March Madness music. Exactly. It's not just the March Madness music. It's the college basketball on CBS music. Mm-hmm. And you hear it, and you're like, oh, yeah. But then it's December, and you're like, oh, I still got a minute. I'm interested to see how that whistle comes back on the podcast later. But uh, um, I think other ones that come to mind of, like, good sports theme music, Round Ball Rock. Ba, 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 Although, basketball. Yeah. Now, every time I hear it, I can't unhear that, which honestly might make it better, to be completely <laughs> honest. The SNL skit. It's a lyrics first song. Yeah, it is. Um. Sunday night football where Carrie Underwood, that's always a classic. I I would say the Monday night football old one, but isn't that one like not good anymore? I couldn't I can't even picture it to be honest with you. So the um oh gosh, I don't the old, know. The, the, the Fox so for the longest time the Fox NFL music was very recognizable mm-hmm. because when Madden was on Fox that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that another one. good one. That was always, and that was, I would argue, more recognizable from the video game because when Madden was on Fox, they had license to use that music for the Madden game. Madden then, of course, went to um, Monday Night Football on ABC and then eventually to, to Sunday Night Football on NBC. And so they stopped uh, on the video games. They could no longer use that music, but that, that would be a good one. But I think the three we have is a good, with others being an alter, an option. And then, of course, in the comments, in the replies, let us know what you mean by other. Yep. So I put that up, best sports music theme. Um, you can vote at RCST do we official, 1320. It's, it's, did we officially name them? I said CBS College Basketball theme, Round Ball Rock, okay. Sunday Night Carry, and other. Reply okay. below. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Go vote at RCST 1320. Matt Tate, LawrenceJournalWorld, Joins us. That time on a Tuesday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, we talked to Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. With Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here. Uh, Matt, real quick, we just put up on our daily poll, best like sports theme music, so like the college basketball, you know, on CBS theme or the, the Fox football sound or, or something. What do you think is the best sports theme music? can possibly beat that college basketball song on CBS. I mean, mostly because, you know, you hear it a lot, obviously, but but you hear it at 10.42 a.m. on a Thursday in March, or even a Wednesday now, I guess, right, And uh, with the first four. And, like, you've just been looking forward to that for so long, and you hear it. And I, I used to go out to Vegas. Um, before I was covering KU, so like post-college a little bit, um, I used to go out to Vegas for the first weekend of the tournament with a bunch of buddies. And, uh, man, that first game back then, and this might have even been before the first four, um, but that first game back then was a 9 a.m. tip-off in Vegas. And uh, generally speaking, like to get – a decent seat in a sports book. You had to just be there at like 4 a.m. and hold your spot and rotate guys and all of that. So um, not a lot of sleep, not uh, not a lot of uh, 
water going down, mm. if you will. Um, and, and so by the time that 9 a.m. would finally roll around, or maybe even a little earlier because of the pregame show and stuff, but when you would hear that song, it would give you life, and uh, you'd be ready to sit there and lose money or whatever the heck you were going to do the rest of the day. But uh, hopefully win. Uh, but, yeah, that, that, that one's so good. I, I do like – I will say this. I do like when when teams have their own specific theme song. Like, the Cubs have one. I'm not a fan of that one. I think it's corny, but I like that idea. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I would – if I thought – long and hard about it i would i would probably come up with something like that as my answer but you just can't freaking beat the uh the college basketball cbs song and i know you said real quick and that wasn't real quick so let's move on shall we well i i definitely would would love to harp more honestly on on the vegas trips with matt but, yeah, yeah you we, should you we, should <laughs> it was epic if you get a chance do it i mean it was it was seven eight years in a row and you know four or five of us would put together our bibles um with you know this was this was pre Ken Palm probably even mm-hmm. so we had our own stats and our own rankings and you know nothing analytic nothing nothing really solid just enough of something you could point to for when some guy picked BYU and you picked San Diego State and you could yell at him <laughs> and he could yell at you so uh there were bible wars going on just like in uh ancient ancient times so mm-hmm. uh yeah it was it was such a good time though we we transitioned um eventually we figured out that that uh the orleans casino off the strip um did a did a similar thing but they did it in these giant ballrooms and so they'd wheel these giant tvs in or drop down the screens from the ceiling and you didn't have to get there nearly as early to get a spot and they would bring up betting windows right into the ballroom. They had bars and, and food. You could get dollar hot dogs. I mean, it, it wasn't the glitz and glamour of, you know, Caesars or MGM or something like that. But, man, for, for, for doing it on a budget, it was, it was down and dirty, and you got a little extra sleep, and, uh, and you could have just as much fun. So we did figure that out. I, I haven't been in years because I've obviously been covering the tournament, but um, it, was, uh, it was always a lot of fun. That sounds like a remarkable time. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe you'll get a reunion one year. That the way that this is going, I'm sure there'll be a regional at some point, like in Las Vegas. Um, there Rem- you go. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah it could be. Remy Martin played 11 minutes on Saturday against Baylor, which you know it's not a huge chunk or anything, but what was notable, Joe Yesifu, who uh, felt like he was trending in the right direction leading up to that game played just four minutes do you think that's more of an indication of that Remy already is viewed by the coaching staff as better than Joe Yesavu or do you think it's more about a a long-term play of the ceiling is just higher for Remy than Joe I think the answer is probably yes to both you know I mean I think that that the idea of wanting to get Remy back in the mix makes a lot of sense and they know they're not going to do it by not playing him so you got to get him out there, and you got to you got to give him a chance to get comfortable again and be him. And and uh, you're running out of times and opportunities to do that. So I think that definitely played a part in it. But at the same time, as much as they like Joe, and as much as there's a lot to like about him, you know, in the future, especially um, he's he's still inconsistent. He's still a little bit timid. He's still inexperienced, really, especially at Kansas. And so. Um, you know, I, I think that, that the idea that Remy's 
better than him or whatever. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly the right way to put it, but I, I do think that, um, you know, th- there's there's plenty of things you can look at with Remy and say, well, not only does he do this better in terms of a skill set and things like that, but guess what? He also has done it a lot of times and for a bunch of different teams and, and on a pretty high high stage and big stage and all of that. So, you know, I think that that, that was a, a, a perfect example of that. I mean, at Baylor, ESPN, you know, pretty big game, obviously, uh, prime time. I mean, there's a lot to to like about that and, and a lot to, to think that Remy would be well-suited to, to fit into that environment. So I, I don't think it's a 100% knock on Joe, and I also don't think it's a 100% vote of confidence for Remy. I think it's a, a little bit of both, and, and, I, and I think that it's probably, hey, we have some time to play here just a little bit, and let's see what this looks like. Let's see if, if us having a little faith in Remy and putting him out there means that he can fly past Joe. Because if he flies past Joe, then Joe doesn't play. But, you know, he didn't exactly fly past him, but he still – had been out a month, and, and it was one game, 11 minutes, like you mentioned, you know. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see more Remy uh, and maybe the minutes distribution like that tonight um, just because I think they want to see what they're going to get from Remy. Um, and, and as much as people would love to see Joe Yosefu get, you know, 20 minutes and, and be productive and attack and aggressive and play D and all that stuff, he's had an entire season to show that he – can do that and that he that he deserves that type of role and and while he's flashed in some spots and, and looked really good in others he hasn't been consistent and he hasn't taken that and, and grabbed onto that and, and forced them to to recognize him as that type of guy and, and that type of role so um you know again not a knock on him it's just it's just they kind of know what he is at this point and it's hard to imagine him making big-time jumps in the next couple of weeks, whereas Remy, he's been out. He's got his pedigree. He's got his past. He's got his experience. He could make that kind of jump in the next couple of weeks, and if he does, big, 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 big if, but if he does, this team becomes completely different, and uh, you know their ceiling goes higher and, and all those things. So it, it makes sense, and, and, uh, it, and it also makes sense when you consider the fact that why would you sit any of those starters? You know, I mean that if those guys can play 38 minutes, that's who you want on the floor more than Remy, more than Joe, more than Jalen Coleman lands, more than any of those guys. I mean that you, you want to ride with your best players and your best players are your starting five. And, and, and so it may be a moot point a little bit, but it, it definitely is some, it feels like some tinkering going on just to kind of feel it out and see where they're at. Well, I, I, I know uh, you brought this up over, I think it was the weekend on Sunday, but some of your big takeaways from the night before, and you, you mentioned um, KU playing zone defense when Remy Martin's in the game. And it's something that I actually you know would put credence to in the idea that I think it would make a lot of sense, but also, is there any... Like, do you, do you actually see Bill Self wanting to do that, willing to, it? Uh, I, I guess kind of give that up because in, in years past we've seen him play the junk defenses but I also wonder if even though that might be what's best if he still would just rather I don't know try to 
get whatever he can out of Remy in man-to-man just because he just doesn't like the idea of playing zone. Yeah, well, number one, he hates zone, yes. And number two, the one thing he might hate more than zone is catering to a guy, one guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that. What, what kind of precedent does that set for the future or for recruiting or for guys who might come here, you know, where self shows like, hey, doesn't matter if you don't play the way I want. I'll change it. You know, like he doesn't want to send that message out there either. So I don't think he will. I would love to see it because I think it maximizes two things. Number one, it gives you the best opportunity to put Remy Martin on the floor for his offense. And number two, it it allows you to survive defensively. It could anyway. I mean, some guys that are bad in man-to-man are even worse in zone, though. So it's not a foolproof plan by any means. I mean, some guys just aren't good defenders, and that could be what we're dealing with with Remy. Um, but, but yeah, I think it would be fascinating to see it because you're kind of trying to – it's almost the offense-defense substitution thing, but you're doing it without having to sub, and, and you're, you're doing it in a sense of like, hey, I'm going to hide you over here, and, and we're going to take six good minutes of you offensively, and, and we're going to make it so you don't mess anything up defensively. And if they could do that, I think they would. I do think he would do it any, in, in any given point in a game in the tournament to win the game, right? I mean, that's, you talk about the junk defenses. Well, he's proven that, and, and he has done that, and he's not afraid to do that in the future. There's no doubt. I mean, at that point, it's totally different. It becomes absolutely about whatever it takes to win that game because you only have to win six of them to have a, a really special year. So I, I think he's not afraid to do that situationally, but I don't think he would do it as a – as a philosophy or as a, a major shift or anything like that. And I'm going to admit something to you, Derek, and I don't mm. like it because you got people listening too. And, and, and I'm not happy <laughs> about this, but I like the idea of them playing Remy in a zone so much that when we were with self yesterday at the press conference, I didn't ask him about it because I don't want to hear him shoot it down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he would, and and I, you know he's look. He's yelled at me. He's thought I asked stupid questions. All this stuff. It's not about that. It's about the idea no longer being possible. And if he'd said it on the record, no, I'm not going to do that. Then we couldn't even dream of it, right? So I left the dream alive, and I decided let's let's just ride with this one. And 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 you know maybe he hadn't read my article yet. Maybe he he just needed to get to that, and and was still going to try to you know. When he gets to that point, he'll go, ah, great idea. <laughs> now, now I'm just spinning total BS. But, yeah, I, I, I really did think about asking him, and then I decided I, I don't want the dream to die um, because it will. It, you know, he's not going to do that long-term as a, as a planned attack or anything like that. I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a situation here or there in a certain game, could it happen? Sure, it could, but, but he's, he's – He's not going to change everything for one guy. Never has, really, so I don't know why he would start now. Well, you bring up a good point with the bench as well, and, and I was looking up yesterday on Ken Palm. The, there's only been one team who has won the title since 2002 who is even in the top 140 for bench minutes, and I don't think that's something where if you do play a deep bench, it precludes you from winning the title. I think the point more so there is that it doesn't require you to play a deep bench to win a title. I mean, there have been teams who are in the bottom 50 of the NCAA and they're in the 300 rankings for bench minutes. So uh, that's interesting. But at the same point in time, we do know that, you know, they're going to need some sort of contribution from the bench, even if it's not, 
you know, in, in big waves of things. And one thing that I've found to be interesting is that as much as a lot of the bench pieces for KU might not be consistent rotation pieces like you don't we don't go into tonight against TCU saying yeah Zach is going to be playing 10 minutes off the bench or KJ Adams is going to play 10 minutes off the bench or Jalen Coleman lands is going to play 15 minutes tonight we go into the game and, and go you know maybe Zach Clements plays or maybe Jalen Coleman lands plays and if he plays well he plays more minutes and the idea that there are certain guys like Zach Clements is in there for a specific matchup. He's in there if you're playing a team like Oklahoma who has a stretch five or KJ Adams is in there in a game like Texas Tech where they play more of an athletic kind of wing at the five position. And we saw a little bit of uh, more of KJ in the Baylor game when Jeremy Sohan was out there at the five. Like that you have these guys who are specific bench pieces for specific matchups, but with the way that I guess throughout all the years that Bill Self has operated with the bench, the bench more so has been a, have you earned my trust to be a part of the rotation night in, night out? And I just wonder if this is kind of a, a different obstacle for him to have to overcome this year in the way that he has to use the bench and that it is so different than some of those previous seasons. Yeah, it, it, I mean... I think he'd be the first to tell you that he would love to have a bench that was reliable, that had uh, obvious roles that guys played to and played well out of, and and you knew exactly who to play and how many minutes and all of that. Um, I think even with a a top-notch starting five, I think he would still prefer to have that from his bench rather than sort of this revolving door and, and guessing game and all that, which is kind of what they have now. Um, but you know, again, like you said, I mean, I just, when it gets to March and and I know we're in March now, but I'm talking about March madness, um, man, it it looks really easy to me and, and obviously foul trouble and, and, and things like that could screw this up. But I, I think the rest of it looks pretty easy. I think you play Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, Ochai Abaji and Dewan Harris, 35 minutes apiece. That's 140 right there and of 200. And, and I think you play David McCormick. If you can get him without foul trouble and all that, I think you play him 30. And that leaves you 20 minutes, right? I mean, or 30 minutes, I guess. Yeah, 30 minutes. That leaves you 30 minutes um, where you can hand that, that kind of time out to bench players. And, and you know, you figure 10 of those are going to go to somebody who backs up Dave at the five when he's not playing – the, the 10 of his 40, and and so then the rest is, is maybe you borrow 10 from Remy, maybe you borrow 5 from Joe, maybe you borrow 5 from Coleman Lands, or, what you know, whatever it is. I mean, it just, to me, it just, it, it, that's the simplest way to, to move forward. And, and I, you know, I know there's some issues with Dave's foot and and uh, the one's frame holding up out there for that long, but every one of those guys is going to want to be out there for that kind of time when, when the season's on the line. And so I, I, don't, I just, you know, outside of foul trouble, I think that's your approach with this team. I, I, think it's, I think it's really easy, and I think, you know, Self has said without hesitation that he would play uh, Jalen and, and CB 38, 39, 40 minutes if he, if he had to. He said he thinks those guys can play all day, you know, and so uh, that might even limit some of that, that bench requirement even more um so so i I just think that while the bench is definitely important and you need to have a bench that you can rely on in those moments of sort of um 
you know, uncertainty where a guy picks up his second or third foul at a bad time and you got to go get him. I mean, you, you need guys who can go out there and, and help you survive that stretch. But the idea of needing a bench to, to win you games, uh, I don't think they need that. I think they need a bench that can survive, not not thrive and not win games. And, and uh, I think they're winning their, their games from this point on by riding the five that they start, and, and for better or for worse, right? Those guys are either going to lead them to the Final Four or flame out in the second round. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of what this thing is, and, and I think that's what it should be. I mean, this is, this is their team. That's a bunch of veterans, a bunch of dudes who have been around here and, and played big roles and been a part of this thing for a long time. It should be their time and their team, and, and it is. So I, I, I think that while the bench is definitely – a key factor for every team out there. I, I think it's probably the smallest factor it's been for KU in a long time, just because they, they, you know, you'd like to have it, but you don't absolutely need it. He is Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, very, All right. Quick, very quickly, one last thing. When was the last time you used a manual pencil sharpener? Uh, well, I, I have a seven-year-old daughter who loves to draw and is learning to, you know, write, and things like that. And we have this little, um, I don't know, inch and a half, two-inch round like pencil the, sharpener. Yeah, the tiny, tiny handheld thing. Yeah, that you, it's got a, I got it in Liverpool, England, of all places, and it's got a picture of the Beatles on it, and... We crank that thing out, and it, the, pop, the top pops off. You empty the shavings, and you move on to, to your next round of sharpening. So I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I would say within the last week or two for sure, and it's a regular part of, of the Tate household. I, I, I love pencils. I always have. I always will. And I love sharpening pencils. I used to get up nonstop when I was in school to go over to the pencil sharpener and, you know, raise my hand. Can I sharpen my pencil? Go turn that thing a hundred times, stand over there for 10 minutes. I love sharpening pencils and I evidently I still do. Mm. Sounds like you were just trying to kill time and uh, not do your schoolwork. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was exactly. I, I was, <laughs> I was that guy for sure. <laughs> he is Matt Tate. Check out all his work. It is not skipped out on. LJ World, KUSports.com. Great stuff as always, Matt, and uh, look forward to reading your gamer tonight after the TCU game. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good week. All right. That's Matt Tate, Orange Journal World, KUSports.com. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. One hour down, two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and klwn.com. Kevin Flaherty will join the show in 35 minutes here. Talking more college basketball, KU hoops, Big 12, all that stuff. Uh, we're out early today, 5.30, pregame coverage for KU. Also on our sister station, 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com. We'll have the Lawrence High girls basketball game in the substate semifinals. Sam and Cole Yep, Sam Speck on the call. Cole Cedabutar will be doing the color for the game. Um, MLB is 
I don't know, crapping down its leg. I mean, I, I, I think in the owners' minds, they're doing exactly what they think mm-hmm. is what they want. I don't, they, I don't think they view it that way. Um, I asked Lesky yesterday. I don't. I just does the MLB really understand how fragile their product actually is? I saw a tweet. I don't think they do. Well, and I saw a tweet, and I can't remember who it was. Um, and it, it was somebody who, um covers baseball and is clearly a big baseball fan and that's that's great but uh he tweeted something about you know all these people thinking that baseball and he's not he doesn't work for MLB Network so he's not like whoever he is he doesn't work for Major League Baseball so he's not like a shill for the league he was just a big baseball fan and I think a blogger and um but whoever it was tweeted that you know, people are jumping off ship, and, and baseball is losing its popularity, but we've got Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Mike Trout. And uh, I he, wish you would have kept listening and, juniors. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he named all of these, um, all of these, you know, tremendous players that are in the league right now. And that's true. I mean, there's some amazing players in the show right now. Uh, and his, you know, he's like, I'm going to stick around. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I get that. But I think you're looking at it from the complete wrong angle. What you need to be thinking of is baseball has these players and is still diving in popularity. That's a problem because they have some super high level, really fun players to watch. But a few, you know, there's been a few problems. One, it was discovered in the late nineties, early two thousands. And as time has gone on more and more, um, a few things have been discovered. One, a lot more economists have been tapped as GMs. And so what they're realizing is I can get this sort of production from a young player and pay him the league salary, the minimum salary of 675,000 or whatever it is, or I can pay a veteran guy uh, who actually brings the exact same production $4 million a year. I'm just going to pay the younger guy because there used to be this, well, he's a veteran. He brings some sort of value. And it re- they realize there's no real value. You're just older. You're bringing the exact same production. We're probably only putting you in there to eat up uh, innings where we're down five to nothing anyway. So you're just eating up mi- meaningless innings. And so why am I going to pay the older guy five million bucks a year when there's a younger guy who'll bring me those these exact same numbers for seven hundred thousand dollars a year? So I think owners and GMs realize that. So average salaries went down. So players got upset about that. And then from a fan standpoint, from just a watching the game standpoint, it the strategy has become such that the the big the if you're a batter you want to hit a home run or walk, and if you're a pitcher you want to strike them out. So the most effective strategy in the game as of this moment is to keep the ball out of play, and that's not a recipe for an exciting sport. And so I don't think it's man we should really hang on to baseball. And, and it'll go back up because it's got all these great players. It's No, it's got all these great players, and the pl- popularity is still plummeting. That's a problem. And it's not getting better with a, with a work stoppage. No. With, with, well, no, I need to, you need to call it a lockout, not just a work stoppage because a lockout says whose side is on. It's the, the owners doing this. They're the ones locking out the players. So basically what happened last night, or, or really all of yesterday, the players and the owners were meeting for hours on end. And it was it was a very silly kind of event of how it was going on. They were meeting like at an MLB ballpark in uh, Jupiter, in Jupiter, Florida, where there's like spring training and stuff, or an MLB facility, I guess I should say. And 
the players and the owners are on like two different sides of the ballpark and meeting and they're different. I would assume they're in like suite areas or clubhouse, whatever. And they let like meet Real with quick. each other. Sorry, I want to just no, say uh, Rob Manfred right now is speaking to reporters. He has just said that they're going to cancel regular season games. He okay. just made that announcement to awesome. reporters. I'm following that on um, on Twitter. A few different people have have reported yeah. that quote as, as Rob Manfred, commissioner of Major League Baseball, a.k.a. representative of the owners, um, speaking to reporters now. He said that they are going to cancel regular season games. Uh Maybe if the owners would have negotiated instead of taking 42 days off after starting the lockout, then we wouldn't be in this situation. But again, this was all negotiating tactics by then. So nonetheless, um, it was just a weird optical situation where they're going back and forth. Every time they'd basically have like one representative would go talk to the other, then they'd go back to the group. They must have got like miles and miles of walking in. Yeah, their step counters must have been big. It was crazy. And and supposedly, according to certain reports from certain reporters, they were making progress and that there was some hope. It felt like, based on what was being reported, that the perception was, okay, they're they're getting close and that today, because they, they moved the deadline to today, that today they could wrap it all up. And I think that got a lot of people's hope up that today would be the day that they would come to an agreement. I even, so to pull back the curtain a little bit on the, the, the sports updates that you hear, um, I record the night before. I kind of wait, I go, I stay up as late as I can to make sure all the sports news is in. Certainly all the game scores are in. Uh, and then I record that update, and then it's played here on KLWN in the mornings. And I even said last night, sometimes you'll hear, I'll say certain things like, as of the time of this recording. And so last night I even said, at the time of this recording, a deal had not been made. And they made sure, I, I, as you said, Derek, I, you know they were still talking. So I made sure to put in that caveat because I fully expected, I even texted Derek, I said, these guys are going to go get, get a deal done and make me look like an idiot on my pre-recorded sports update. Um, I really thought that I would wake up this morning, and there would be some some news that oh, 3 a.m. They you know they brought a deal together, and, and now it, it looks like I don't know if they're going backwards, but certainly there's reason to look at now that the the any like that optimism that people were reporting and feeling yesterday was misguided. Yeah. Also, Manfred has expanded on the canceled comments the first two series of the season have officially been canceled um so that'll i guess the season is now at longest 156 games and we'll just kind of work down from there i would be first off i want to just say i think the whole season as a whole needs to be 140 that'll never happen because there's more money and more games but um i do think i still i'm i'm not a i'm not reporting this i'm speculating wouldn't you, would you agree though, Derek, that there's a possibility that if if a, a, a agreement comes, that the owners to try to make themselves look good will say, "All right, well, we canceled these six games, these first two series, but we're actually going to make them up over the course of a few double headers uh, over the course of the season, and and you know we're gonna we're gonna go back and actually retract those canceled games and give them back to you guys, the fans. Like you can see them doing that, right?" Like, if, if a deal happens within yeah, the next few days. I could. I could. But honestly, like you said, I, I wouldn't mind if the season's just a little bit shorter. It's just that this probably signals this isn't going to be the last cancellation. What happened today is that there were some reports that came out, and it was kind of interesting because there were certain reporters who were sitting it out last night. One was, I think, Jeff Passan, like he, the occasional tweet and stuff. But um, 
based on what happened today, there were some reports that, no, we were never really that close. Yeah. There were still some sizable differences between the two of us, and that basically makes it sound like, no, all those reports that were coming out yesterday were the owners yeah. trying to leak fake information so that now that they knew this would happen, there wouldn't be an agreement. Now a lot of the public might shift to thinking, oh, this is on the players. I think it's I, I would agree. I think it's pretty clear that the hey, everything's looking great and optimistic and, and we're getting deals done or we're we're making real progress yesterday that those those reports were coming from owners were feeding that information. Owners or, or people working for owners were feeding that information to reporters and the no, we were never actually because now the what the owners are saying. Well, no, the, now the mood is different. The, the 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 players they're almost accusing the players of of backtracking, that they're not as optimistic now. That that they're almost putting on they they not almost they are putting on the players as as no. You, it looks like the players have backtracked from their optimism yesterday when in fact the players are saying no. We were never that close. According to Bob Nightingale, who was reporting a lot of this last night, so you know he's taking it from the union side of things, but he reported that the MLB and the union have agreed to resume negotiations in New York. That's interesting. But also, uh, as you mentioned, Rob Manfred is talking right now at a press conference. He's literally laughing. There are pictures of him like smiling and laughing right now. This guy is a complete buffoon. I'll Unbelievable. Say this. I, I got to find the tweet. Hang on. Uh, there was a great tweet. Um... And I want to make sure proper credit. Keep talking, Derek, because I want to make sure proper credit goes for this well, tweet. So anyway, so it, it sounds like things are pretty far apart. And and I will say it is positive that it seems like they did maybe inch a little bit closer to each other. But it, it sounded like it was, okay, now we are handheld distance apart. And it actually is more so that, no, we inched a little bit closer, but there's still a river gap between us. And we need to find the bridge that goes between us. And uh, it's... It's just very disappointing. I I love baseball, and uh, this is uh, it's par for the course. Okay, this was uh, Molly Knight. Molly Knight tweeted thirty two minutes ago. On the bright side, Rob Manfred. Or on the bright side for Rob Manfred, the Astros cheating scandal is no longer the worst thing that happened on his watch. Do remember he <laughs> he didn't care. He called the World Series trophy a piece of a metal. Piece of metal. Dude! Oh, I just found metal. this. Yeah. I just found out this the other day. It happened in 2019, and I just found this out. No wonder. Play. Did you hear about the belt? <laughs> I don't think MLB so. MLB owners gave a belt to the team that best manipulated salaries and service time. Mm, you're joking. Even if they didn't, the, that came out. Uh, Jeff Passan wrote a story the other day and brought up the piece of metal comment, and then linked back to a story um, from 2019. That yeah, the MLB owners had a championship belt that not for winning the World Series, but to the team that best manipulated service time and uh, and salaries. Absolute joke. You know, this is unbelievable to me because the thing is, like, even in the any sport, NFL, NBA, the owners, or I guess in the NBA governors, um, they have their certain things, and you know. There's certain aspects of it where you could say, well, I wish this was a little more play-friendly, whatever. At the end of the day, you feel like that is all pretty organized well enough that you they want to grow the game forward. And I get it. Like, we did have a, a lockout in the NBA that caused us to miss some games. We did have a— Yeah, real quick. The team that did the most to keep salaries down in arbitration got this— Absolutely insane. —replica 
championship belt. Dude, MLB that came sucks. Out, that came out uh, Mark Carrig uh, from The Athletic. That report was done in March of 2019. <sighs> what a dumb sport. I mean, look, I get billionaire. It's it's nothing, and I've said this on the, these airwaves before. It's it's old old hat to say billionaires are out of touch. We know that they're out of touch. No, also, by but the way, I, can I just say something? How can you be this dumb? You, you have to be smart to become a billionaire unless you inherited that money. So you have to have some sort of brains in you. I can't believe how bad they are, they are at this. By the way, the whole idea that you have the certain people who will come out and tote the, oh, it's billionaires versus millionaires, I don't care. No, it's not. This is the biggest part of this that they're trying to change is the league minimum and how much the service time gets manipulated and how minor leaguers get manipulated and how minor leaguers get screwed over in the process and they're having to pay their ways in the offseason, all this stuff, and... Once they make it to the majors, they're still not getting as much. This is billionaires versus the um, minimum-making players. And, yes, there are other things that they're trying to get involved as well, but that is, like, the main part of this. It is just absolutely wild to me and very disappointing. All right, we need to get to on to a uh, college basketball stock market report here. Um, update from last <laughs> week. We just We just criticized... <laughs> We just criticized owners. Now we're going to go. Let's talk about our stock portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I'm not. I, <laughs> I'm not locking anybody out. That's a good point. Playing ball, man. We're um, not locking out the college basketball teams we have on our stock no. report. Duke's up a little bit for me from last week. Kentucky down a little more. Uh, Michigan State. This is weird. Michigan State is down from where they were last week, despite beating Purdue over the weekend, because uh, they lost the other game in the week. North Carolina up a little bit from last week. I think I'm going to hold on to Oregon through the Pac-12 tournament. Same with Syracuse, even though they suck. Um, Oklahoma, I'll hold on to them this week. Yeah, this Duke is their last beat Syracuse stand. by like infinity on Saturday. And then they lost that in was, overtime. There was that we, we Derek and I watched that. We were going into um, uh, the bar where we watched the game on Saturday night, and we get there and we're talking like, man, all these top teams are going down. That could be a bad sign for KU. And then we look, man, we'll, we'll see is Duke going to be one of those teams that suffer. And we look over and it's like 55 to 20 or something. Yeah. Um, they're not very good. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll stick with most of them. The only team I'm going to sell off North Carolina, I just, they're not very good. I'll sell all 10 shares. I ended up losing about $12 over the course of all the time having them. But I just want some money back so that I can buy some Purdue stock. Um, Purdue is ranked 13th on Ken Palm right now, and they're down to 23.42 per share. I'm gonna buy five shares of it. I'll have about fifty dollars left over. I look at Purdue; they have the number one offense in the country. Defense is not very good. I don't look at Purdue as being a team that can win the title because the defense is so bad. But I look at Purdue; they're coming off the loss to Michigan State with the offense. I view them being a team that could sprint to the finish line here of the regular season, and that they could win the Big Ten tournament and they get this, like, two seed, and they're riding high, and then they lose early in the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to I'm gonna buy in on them now and then sell them probably, like, before the NCAA tournament because I, I do think they'll win the Big Ten tournament with the offense. So I'll get in on Purdue now. Um, what are you going to do? I am going to – I want more Duke. I have – who did mm -hmm. I sell last week? You have five shares of Duke. Um, last week you sold all 10 shares of Loyola Chicago. That's right. So I'm also going to drop – I know this is going to go completely against my strategy. I really was like, well, Michigan State, could they become the team that really, you know, 
one of those Izzo teams that gets a lower seed but makes noise because and, and scares some teams in March. I'm I'm dumping Michigan State. Um, and with that and the money I have from Loyola Chicago, I'm going to buy five more shares of Duke. Mm-hmm. So I should have ten total of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm so late. It, I I'm so late on the the game here that I don't even know how much more of a profit I can turn. But I am going to buy five shares of Gonzaga. Thirty-two seventy-two a share. That's a be, lot. And yeah, they could get up to thirty-five though. We've seen that's it the thing. If they win a national championship, they could hover around thirty-four, thirty-five. So. All right, uh, that is our college basketball stock market report. And uh, as far as stocks, Rob Manfred down, owners down. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on MM. Of course it's down. Haven't you heard the owners? You can't make money on <laughs> yeah, right? a baseball team. Um, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty joins us in 20 minutes. Coming up next, Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Rivetta, Derek Johnson on KLWN. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, Kevin, I do want to talk some college hoops, but um, we were actually just chatting before we came back from break. And uh, Michael Swain, your compadre at 24-7 Sports with Fog.net, um, released the the KU football roster. And um, there's some interesting, I, I guess, numbers. We're going to play the Lance Leipold audio. He spoke with the media uh, earlier today we'll play that for you on tomorrow's show but it, it sounds like already some transformation is being had in the program with the uh, new KU strength and conditioning program yeah it, it's interesting because uh, I think you know when I talk to different coaches around the league just sort of their thoughts on, on Kansas last year and, and sort of what they saw you know, one of the things that they had talked about was that, you know, from a body standpoint and on the hoof standpoint, as they say in the scouting industry, you know, Kansas didn't look like the other Big 12 teams. You know, even the guys who were, say, 290 or 295 pounds, it wasn't necessarily the right kind uh, of 295 pounds that, that you really want to see. And, and, by all indications this spring from, from people who have been out to practice, you know, the bodies are, are looking different. And then the roster that, that came out today that, that they passed around would definitely seem to indicate that's the case. You know, you've got defensive tackles who have been in the program for, you know, a, a year or two who were, who were up and past that 300-pound mark who maybe weren't close. One of the ones that jumps out at me who didn't quite get to 300 was DJ Withers, was a 245-pound defensive end at high school, and he's up to 295. You know, they had brought him in to be a guy that was going to get bigger and eventually play defensive tackle. And then one of the ones that stands out the other way, and a guy that I think Kansas fans have always kind of been interested in, you know, Armand Reed Adams was such an interesting pickup when the Les Miles staff got it because – he was a legitimate 6'5". He weighed 329 pounds uh, when he went to a combine in high school, and he ran like a 4'7 shuttle. And he had, you know, something ridiculous like a 6'10", 7'0 wingspan, something like that. He came into the Kansas program really heavy, uh, around 390 or so pounds. And he played some as a true freshman at 390 or so pounds. And He'd have the occasional good moment, but obviously didn't look to be the most mobile. You know, last year, you know, he didn't really see the field 
uh, that much as they were trying to get that weight down there. He's listed now at 320 pounds. So down, you know, <laughs> 70 or 80 pounds from, from where he came into the program and, and even a little bit lighter than, than where he was in high school when he sort of showed those traits that made him such an intriguing pitch cut by the Jayhawks. And so it, it certainly looks like uh, Coach Gildersleeve and the guys in the weight room are, are putting in the work at this point. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty noticeable. That's pretty sizable, to, I mean, literally. But um, it's crazy that you would have, I guess, that quick of results as well. How much of that do you think is, because we know it's, you know, with, with college rosters, a lot of times you can doctor it. A guy's six feet tall. Oh, we're listing him at six foot two, something like that. How much of it is that and how much of it is, do you think, real? You know, I, I think from a weight standpoint, it, it's pretty accurate. And, you know, based on on what I've seen and some of the people that I've talked to, it, it sounds like the, the numbers are there. You have to remember a lot of these guys that we're talking about in terms of putting on weight or, or whatever else, they're younger guys. And they weren't necessarily guys who saw the field last year. And so because of that, you know, their preparation was a little bit different. You take an offensive lineman like, say, Mike Nowitzki, you know, who's starting at center. During the week, Nowitzki is preparing to play against Oklahoma or Texas or whatever during the season. Not that DeKedrick Stearns, who, who is another guy that, that put on some weight, is over 300 pounds at offensive tackle. Not that Stearns, you know, didn't prepare to play at all because he was on the depth chart. But at the same time, those are guys that come into the program, their bodies are still growing, and you can afford to work with them with more of sort of a long-term goal in mind as opposed to somebody that you're trying to sort of hold off. You don't want, obviously, guys going nuts in the weight room, you know, the week of a big game. And so some of these guys were guys that didn't see the field a lot, but they had a chance to really warm up in the strength program. And so... On one hand, you're looking at it, and a lot of people are like, "My gosh, you know, it's been it's been two or three months since the end of the season. How in the world have these guys put on forty or fifty pounds? When in all actuality, you know, it was something that has been going on since last summer through the season for some of these younger guys because they weren't seeing the field, and now you're also seeing, you know, what they've done in the last few months, and so." It's kind of all of that process, I think, working together. And uh, and, it, and you're seeing some of those guys really start to, to add weight, to fill out their frames. And, and in some cases, guys are, are trimming up. You know, Taiwan Berryhill was the linebacker that added quite a bit of weight, I feel like, from where he was his first year to his second year. One of the things that I've heard about him is his body looks changed you know, in terms of, you know, really toning up and thinning and having the right kind of weight on there as well. And so it's uh, it's one of those processes, but one that, uh, that the Jayhawks certainly don't seem to be ignoring at this point. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Switching gears over to basketball, uh, KU loses to Baylor on Saturday, and it, it seems that in certain games that KU has maybe struggled or lost, when you think of Texas Tech, when you think Oklahoma and Baylor, uh, specifically that game where you had Jeremy Sohan playing the five, a, a common theme maybe seems to be uh, some sort of a matchup nightmare five, whether it's a stretch five or an athletic five in the case of 
Tech and Baylor. Uh, is that a worry for this team? And, and are there, like, is what Baylor and Tech has at the five position, is that that common? Is that something KU should even worry about as far as big picture with the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think, too, you know, they've also had issues with fours. And, you know, when you look at Isaiah Brockington, when you look at Timmy Allen and what he was able to do playing the four, you know, I, I do think the five is a little bit of a concern. And I think part of the reason why is that the guys that you would counter those guys with. So if you put somebody in to try and slow down, Jeremy Sohan, your your best answer to do that is probably K.J. Adams, right? Because he's a little more athletic, he's switchable, and Sohan wants to put the ball on, on the court and, and, you know, try and get by somebody, and Adams is, is probably the best defensive option as far as that goes. But then what are you leaving off offensively? You know, you're not you're not rebounding the ball as well offensively because you're going small. You're not, you know, dominating inside the way that maybe you could going up or through Sohan on the offensive end because KJ Adams just doesn't have that as part of his game. And so I think there's a decision making process you almost have to have there where you're looking at it and you're saying, on one hand, you know, Jeremy Sohan is giving us issues, but on the other hand, you know, you have an offensive mismatch that you can exploit as well, potentially. And if you make a move simply to counter what's going there and you say, okay, maybe KJ Adams stops Jeremy Sohan from going off, but okay, then what's KJ Adams adding back in on the other end? And so I think that's more the issue, Derek. It's not necessarily even that, hey, this kind of guy is going to give Kansas issues because I think there are multiple kinds of guys that can. It's that Kansas doesn't necessarily have players who can step in and stop that guy while at the same time, you know, quote unquote, winning that matchup by going off themselves. It's, it's not something that they necessarily really have on the roster at this point. And so in a lot of cases, it seems like it makes sense to, to get David McCormick out or to, to give somebody else an opportunity. But the flip side of that is, is that David McCormick supplies things that maybe you can't get from some of those other guys on, on the other end, whether it's, you know, passing, whether it's screening, whether it's the ability to score inside or crash the offensive glass. And so you really just have choices to, to make at that point. Which Big 12 team do you view as, I don't know, maybe molded the best to go on a deep run in March? That That's an impossible question for me to answer <laughs> because I, I'll be honest with you, Derek. I, I think Kansas, theoretically, and we've talked all year about this, if Kansas gets the best version of Remy Martin, Kansas, I feel, has a ceiling that Baylor and Texas Tech don't have right now. Having said that, you know, I think we're getting to a point where it's fair to ask, is Kansas ever going to get that that version of Remy Martin, especially since we've got a week left in the regular season in the Big 12 tournament for for him to get there. And I think when even when you look at it and say, okay, Kansas might not have that, 
you look at Baylor, and I think there are flaws there and flaws that could be exploited against the the wrong matchups and potentially even early on if Baylor winds up in the wrong two seven matchup or the wrong you know one versus an eight matchup in the NCAA tournament. It wouldn't be a huge shock, I don't think, to see the Bears go home early. And Texas Tech even less so. You know, Texas Tech, when Texas Tech is on, as it typically has been in Lubbock, you know, yesterday's game against K-State, you know, not counting, Texas Tech maybe has shown it as much as anybody on the positive side. But there's also that weird dichotomy where Texas Tech has been so – much not the same team away from Lubbock. And when you look at that, yes, Texas Tech could have won it at Allen Fieldhouse. I think the Red Raiders are a tough matchup for Kansas because of what Bryce and Williams can do in that game. But at the same time, with how much we've seen Texas Tech struggle against you know TCU on the road and other teams that most people would say, hey, you, you should beat this team home or away, do you really feel great about Texas Tech, you know, going a long way in the NCAA tournament? I, I think it's almost kind of a coin flip in, in most of those games with, with Texas Tech in terms of what team is going to show up in those situations. Is there a team that's hovering right now around that seven, eight, nine, ten line, whatever it would be for Kansas, depending if they're a one or a two seed, that you would least want? to play if you were a Kansas fan or a Kansas coach or whatnot? I think the team that you don't want to face if you're a Kansas, I, I think teams that are really athletic can, can give the Jayhawks issues, especially in terms of what Kansas is able to stop. Yeah, I think one of the other things that, that scares you a little bit is when a team is really three-point reliant. Uh, even if it's a team like Alabama that's not a good three-point shooting team, the fact that Alabama takes so many three-pointers, you don't want it to be the wrong night. You don't want it to be like when Alabama upset Gonzaga and they made 11 of their first 14 three-pointers, and you you stop and think about it and say, well, gosh, Alabama is probably going to beat just about anybody in that situation. And so getting in Alabama as a 7, 8, or a 9 seed it is really scary, not because Alabama is better than Kansas, but because Alabama is a team that could wind up in those spots that's 100% capable of taking out any team in the country if it's the wrong day. And because of the fact that Alabama shoots so many three-pointers, it's a really athletic team. They can get to the rim and score efficiently, inside because of the way they can spread you out and make you defend. And so a team like Alabama, I think, is is one of those that you look at it and, and Alabama on the right night, you know, maybe Kansas runs away by 20 or 25 points. And on the wrong night, Kansas is going home and everybody's wondering what happened. Uh, more points for Remy Martin in the NCAA tournament or – more touchdowns for Jalen Daniels plus Devin Neal this season for KU. Ooh, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with more. I'm going to go with more points for for Remy Martin because I, I think he's going to average in double figures in the NCAA tournament. Maybe I'm going to be wrong about that, but 
I, I think, you know, if Kansas makes a run to say the, the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight and you're looking at Remy Martin, you know, sitting there at, uh, at say, 12 or 13 points a game, something like that, I think we saw against Baylor, you know, it, with Bill Self, you learn so much about who's in in the final minute and who's getting those opportunities. And you saw Remy Martin coming off being, you know, totally rusty, not playing in a month, basically. And he was he was in there when the game was in a position to be decided. And I think that was maybe what indicated to me that, hey, the, however this thing has gone up to this point with Remy Martin playing time, shots, whatever else, Bill Self sees him as a viable member of his rotation, if not you know, somebody he wants to outright start at some point. And so because of that, I do think Remy Martin is going to have a big role in the NCAA tournament if he can stay healthy. And so I think I'm going to go with Remy Martin because I think that, uh, that he can put that number high enough, even if they only play three games, if he scores 13 a game, over that stretch, thirty-nine touchdowns is is quite a bit for uh, is quite a bit for Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal to try and get to. I don't know Heisman campaign incoming for Jalen Daniels. And hey, Daniel. if they if they play four and he gets to fifty-two, I mean that's going to be really <laughs> really tough. But but I don't know if you if you had said you know Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, and Jared Casey because you mm. know Jared Casey is just a touchdown scoring machine. You know, I, you I, I might have uh, might have had to change my change my answer. All right, well, Kevin, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. What was the last dip you ate? The last dip I ate. Hmm. That, that's tough because I don't think I've had anything like semi recent. I would not even at the Super Bowl. No, no, actually not. I, wow. I would guess that it would probably be like a nacho cheese dip at, at some point. I just can't, for the life of me, think of uh, of what it would be. Maybe guacamole at some point, but it, it's been a while, actually. Mm. You need to get your dip game going. He is Kevin Flaherty. I do. I, do. <laughs> I am lagging behind in that category. Appreciate you coming on, as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Hi, right, that's Kevin Flaherty. Check out his work at 24-7 Sports. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Brevetta. Two hours down, half hour to go.